This week on the Habs Forum, Cole Caulfield has finally played a game as a Montreal Canadian. He didn't score, but he definitely did not look out of place out there. I mean, at least we had that to give a little bit of excitement watching these boring, boring Flames games. But hey, the Canadians won are that much closer to uh, inching into the, the, the playoffs. Nothing's guaranteed yet, so of course we'll, we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about who's been kind of the MVP for this team so far and what's going on exactly with these call-ups and who can play, who can't play, and how Bergevin kind of messed this up for the team, honestly, if uh, if you if you look into it uh, really closely. And of course, uh, we have an interview. with uh, We haven't had an interview in a while, so excited to have Sam Harrigan on the podcast of the Badger Herald. Uh, he basically is a reporter for anything uh, Wisconsin University uh, sports. He broke Cole Caulfield playing his first game in the NHL about two hours before anyone uh, in any insider, you're not seeing me doing air quotes, but insider air quotes, <laughs> uh, were able to <laughs> to do it uh, on, a, on a Habs Twitter. So super happy uh, to to have him on for that. And uh, first though, Dustin, tell me who uh, who's sponsoring the podcast. The Habs Forum is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Check out the new Lawnmower 3.0 and the Weed Whacker. And don't forget forget those crop cleansers. Those are the ball wipes. Definitely a must-have for the summer coming up. Hopefully we'll be able to go outside. And if you're going outside, you definitely don't want your balls all sweaty. So get the crop cleanser. And, uh, yeah, use promo code HABSFORUM for 20% off your purchase and get free shipping. All across Canada, free shipping. How exciting! So let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, I mean, like these games against Calgary, like they should have been exciting playoff caliber games. I mean, Calgary fighting for their lives, and like it's not just Calgary's fault. I mean, the Canadians have to find a way to, to counter their whole trap game and all that. But oh my God, these games have been so freaking boring and just ended finally with a win 2-1 against Calgary and just like what was there like five shots total in the entire game like it was such a snooze fest oh my god it was yeah it was pretty sad uh definitely not very exciting very happy we don't have to go against the flames again for the rest of the season um yeah so man like yeah what a boring game or well three games really it should just be illegal to play hockey that way. I mean, it's, it's just, it's bad for everyone. It's bad for everyone involved. It's just, I don't know. It was just, it's just so mind numbing. And, and honestly, it was part of me wanted not only the Canadians to beat them yesterday, just to make the inch closer to the playoffs, but to inch Calgary further away from the playoffs. Cause at this point, I don't know if the Canadians deserve to make the playoffs. Honestly, they probably don't. But Calgary definitely does not deserve to make the playoffs. If Vancouver pulls out a Cinderella story after everything they've been through, hey, honestly, can't even be that mad. Like I said, Canadians probably don't even deserve to make it. But I do not want to see Calgary in the damn playoffs. No way, no how. But yeah, anyway, so we uh, we did the last podcast before the three games. We were hoping for two wins. That didn't happen. First two games, not night good performance for the and and the fans. The fans on Twitter everywhere were just clamoring for Cole Caulfield. And finally, the Canadians got Cole Caulfield in the lineup. And, I mean, Dustin, I don't know about you. Like, I know he didn't score. First of all, I love that he was uh, next to, to to Daniel. Like, he, we were joking in our in our in our group chat that he was going to play five minutes next to Eric Stahl. And it's not going to make any difference. But he actually got played some real minutes and had some nice flashes. I mean, got a nice shot on goal off the wing early on in the game. He did not look out of place at all. No, definitely not. I mean, he lo- he was flying out there right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, uh, I felt like he got a little bit quieter as the as the game went on. But uh, I mean, you know, I think through the through the first period, maybe even first two periods, he was maybe the best player on the ice for the Canadians. I mean, he he was really fantastic. He was just flying out there. He was winning puck battles, you know, in the corners along the boards. Uh, you know, he had a couple of, a couple of decent chances, a couple of decent shots. And yeah, I mean, you like to see him getting an opportunity because I mean, how honestly, how surprised would any of us have been if they would have put him on the fourth line beside Eric Stahl and Corey? No, exactly, Perry? exactly. You know? and, and and like, I love how quick on the trigger he is. There's a few moments where I mean, like maybe like off angle shots and all that, but like one of his like bad angle shots created 
one of the best opportunities for the Canadians, and obviously nothing happened because it ended up on, on Philip Deno's stick. Uh, I mean, not not to disparage Deno too much. He's been doing a lot a lot better, but not known for his uh, his goal scoring. But that was one of the Canadians' best chances uh, outside of the, of the goals they scored. Was, was that play where he kind of shot it from the side and then it bounced back in front of the net, and that was off a, a great puck battle in the corner. He had another play on the breakout, which I loved the way he kind of just tipped it to Tatar. Like already knows where his teammates are gonna be, and. Obviously, he was, he, he, he was still playing, I'm sure, at times, the system he's used to in Wisconsin, which obviously is not going to be the same system as what is played in Montreal. So there's always going to be kind of a transition for any new player entering a lineup. But the fact that uh, Cole Caulfield, in his first NHL game and only had a week of practice, it's not like he's coming through. It's not like he went through a training camp or anything like that with, with the team where he gets to learn the system and everything. He's just a week removed from from playing with uh, with his university team. So I, th- I he really, really it's re- it was really exciting. And, like, of course he looked minuscule out there standing next to some players. I mean, there's a shot at the end of the game where the, on the bench they're kind of celebrating and Kotkaniemi is kind of, like, giving him a bit of a hot side hug. And Kotkaniemi just absolutely towers over cold coffee <laughs> he looks like a little kid i mean he always looks like a little kid period i mean but especially yeah, exactly. with that, I mean, who himself looks like a kid but uh, yeah like but yeah. looks like a giant kid and he looks like a little kid <laughs> but yeah i mean only you know i mean he's a, a few a few months now at the uh, remove playing university hockey only had two games in the ahl you know and jumped right in here and i mean he hasn't missed a beat since obviously the two games he had in the AHL were extremely were, were, were fantastic. I mean, three goals, two game winning goals and an assist in those two games. And uh, yeah, you know, he didn't get any points last night, but, uh, but I mean, he just, he, you know, it, at the end of the day, he basically, you know, it, it, it looks like he, he, he belongs there. Now, Definitely now the, doesn't look out of space or at a place. No, not at all. Now, now the problem, though, is that it costs Romanov sitting in the press box. And we've talked about this, how we didn't want to – and not only was he sitting out, he was sent down to the taxi squad, which means that if he wants – if they want him to come back, unless there's an injury, he has to he has to be on uh, like a same as Caulfield where it was an emergency call-up because the, the Canadians only have one call-up left because of these like weird rules and it, it just – I don't fully understand them, but it's it's become clearer and clearer that Bergevin and his team also did not fully understand them when they made some moves at the deadline, when they did the three call-ups like the day after and everything. It's just – it's so frustrating because the optimal lineup for the Canadians right now, I believe, has Caulfield, has Romanov, and has Jake Evans in the lineup. Those three guys need to be playing. And it's literally impossible for that to happen unless there's a bunch of injuries until the playoffs. And that's just so frustrating. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's hard to argue with those three guys not being in the lineup. They, they, All three of those guys definitely deserve it. I mean, Caulfield, you know, obviously he's only had the one game. But especially with Gallagher being out, he is basically like the perfect guy to replace Gallagher. There's yeah. no other guy that can provide goal scoring no, you know, the, the, the way that Caulfield can, and, you know, he sort of plays a bit of the same sort of game as, as Gallagher. I mean, not exactly, of course, but, but, you know, he's, he, he, he's a guy that can win that obviously he's smaller, but he can win those puck battles and he, you know, he, he, he can score goals like crazy. Obviously we've seen it. He's done it at every level and I'm sure he can do it in the NHL as well, but um, you know, he should definitely be in the lineup. Jake Evans, we all know he, sh- he should be in the lineup, especially the way that Eric Stahl has been playing. Eric Stahl has been a flaming pile of garbage so far well, aside from the first game. Well, the, the thing with Eric Stahl, though, the, the last few games where Stahl, or maybe it was just yesterday's game, when he's playing next a guy like Jake Evans, I actually feel like that goes well together because Jake Evans brings so much speed to that line to kind of compensate for for Stahl's lack there uh, of speed there. But the thing is, if you look at uh, how it went yesterday, if you compare the usage of Eric Stahl and Jake Evans, even at the face-off circle in important situations, it seems very clear that Dominic Duchamp prefers Jake Evans to Eric Stahl. 
but he's unfortunately forced to play Eric Stahl over him because of this whole call-up rule. Because the th- what's going on here, uh, like I said, it's 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 really hard to explain exactly how it works. I mean, one 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 Twitter follow who's great for this is is uh, Arpon Bass, who's always great about the the Habs. He's broken down the rules a little bit. But both Evans right now and Caulfield are on emergency call-ups, so technically they can only play if players continue to be injured. If guys like like Dwayne are able to come back to play or Byron and all, then they have no choice but to send those guys back down. So even if they wanted to have Evans play instead of Stahl, well, they can't do that unless they want to, like, they can only do one more player. So, but like, if you watched the game yesterday, there were situations where like Evans got more time on ice. Evans was there on the PK. He was looking great. He was taking important faceoffs. Like, I think the coach actually likes him, but his hands are kind of tied and his hands have been tied by the GM. I mean, we've said a lot of good things about Bergevin, how we loved his offseason. He made some great moves. And then like all the MVPs of this team have all been offseason acquisitions. But what he did at the deadline and the moves that happened, it seems like there was another move maybe that he was trying to make and he did those call-ups to like I, there must have been something there that didn't happen that messed it up like i refuse to believe it was complete ignorance but he's really tied the hands of his coach here it's it's just the coach can't put out the best lineup he just can't unless there's injuries it, it's 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 unbelievable yeah no it, it is obviously it's 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 very complicated like you say uh and it it i mean it it has put them in in a really tough position uh you know, you hate to hate to say anything about Bergevin spending up to the cap you know, because we've we've shed on him so, so much over the last couple of years because he's been afraid and we've been so yeah. far under the cap. But now but I mean, you're like literally like at this point, I think they're like two thousand dollars under the cap. Like you have to have a little yeah. bit of wiggle. Yeah, a little Cause bit. Because yeah. now anything. You know, just to get Caulfield in the lineup, they have to send Romanov down and they have to have Lingren as the backup goalie instead of Primo because Primo, you know, the difference of a couple of thousand dollars was going to be too much. So it it just makes it hard to follow for us. And I'm sure even, you know, Bergevin, maybe his team was a little confused there too. Because like you said, I mean, maybe that's what happened. Maybe there was a deal that they thought they had in place and and it didn't end up working out. And maybe that that's sort of what threw a, a wrench into everything here. But um but yeah, like you said, I mean, they they they're not necessarily playing their the best lineup they could every night, and you know, I mean, they need all the wins, all the points they can get at this point. So uh, absolutely, because nothing nothing is set in stone. I, I will say though, I did not hate the uh, the John Merrill and uh, Gustafson pairing yesterday. I mean, Gustafson did have some moments where he was as advertised, where he made some kind of boneheaded plays. But like, I honestly, here's the thing. Every defenseman on this team has made boneheaded plays. Every single one of them. Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie. I mean, Jeff Petrie's not playing at the same pace as he was at the beginning of the year. Uh, I mean, Sherratt constantly is making boneheaded plays. I mean, Edmondson, honestly, is probably the one. He's definitely not flashy. You don't see him doing as many boneheaded plays, but you can kind of forget he's out there in general. But Gustafson definitely brings an aspect that this team is has been lacking for years on the back end with with his with his rushes and and Merrill seems to be a vi- like a very reliable partner there that that kind of worked at the same time I ha- I hate having Romanov out of the lineup honestly at this point I think my ideal lineup takes Sherrod out of there puts Romanov in his place and you keep that that Gustafson and and Merrill pair at pair at the bottom because Sherrod man oh like I know he had an okay game. He had like a bad game. He had an okay game, and then more bad games. But like boneheaded penalties, and he he got lucky. He got extremely lucky yesterday. Because I don't know uh, if they were talking about it on the TSN broadcast. They, uh, on broadcast, they didn't show the replay. It wasn't clear on the replay. But the two uh, RDS analysts were convinced Sherratt deserved a penalty on the shooting the puck over the uh, over the, the the glass that they, they that they didn't give him a penalty for. They were convinced that it should have been a penalty and that the refs messed it up like they were being very honest about it and that would not have been the first time Sherrod does that and that was horrible time. There's maybe like 3 minutes left in the game. And I'm sorry that, that, that like I know that maybe a stupid rule, but it's Sherrod's done it a lot a lot this year. It wouldn't be the first time. It's unacceptable. No, for sure. If if we're playing if if the defenseman or, you know, if, if the guys that are playing in a lineup are playing on merit, definitely Ben Sherratt is not in the top six because, you know, he he basically he's had one good game, him and Weber, since coming back from injury. And aside from yeah. that, he's been 
he's been a disaster. And it's like uh, he was I, good before he got injured. He was terrible before he got injured too. Yeah, no, he's he's had a terrible season. You know, I mean, last season, you know, I think I think we can all agree he he exceeded a lot of our expectations. He had a great season last season, but uh, he this, started this poor. Don't forget that. Yeah, that's true. That is true. He he, he had a he strong get finish. He, and they had a him and Weber had a strong uh, bubble. There's no denying that. But I, I think that might have just been that Philly was a good was a good kind of matchup for them, right? and it kind of worked out. But it, it's just he's he's not part. Of, like, look, M- Merrill Augustuson, like Augustuson, I think it was just his second game, if I'm not mistaken, maybe third. Uh, I I can't remember all these Calgary games blend into one basically. But uh, like who knows? I mean, like I wouldn't be against maybe shuffling, the, but like I'm definitely sick of seeing him and Weber start the games and. But I I've loved what I've seen from Merrill so far though. We've only seen him in small spurts here, but like here and there. But he seems like a very reliable defenseman that can kind of correct mistakes if he's playing with a guy like Gustafson that takes a lot of chances. And he just uh, small sample size, but he's looked pretty good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, John Merrill. Uh, you know, he he was expected to be a really good acquisition. He's he's been fantastic so far. I mean, he's perfect. You know, he's a left-handed defenseman that's playing on the right side, so he can play on both sides. He's a cheap option as well. Obviously. We didn't pay very much for him. We paid, a, uh, I believe, it was a fifth rounder, and and we got rid of uh, uh, Hayden Verbeek for him. Um, you know, he's he's been a great addition. Hopefully, a guy that maybe the Canadians can re-sign because I mean, he'd be a, a an amazing guy to keep around. You know, he's a def- he he keeps it. You know, he plays within his game. He's obviously not yeah. a flashy guy, kind of like Edmondson. You know, he's gonna he's yeah. gonna let his defensive partner do his thing, which is what's working great with Gustafson right now. Gustafson, like you said, I mean, he sort of came as advertised. He obviously offers a much different dynamic than a lot of the other defensemen on the Canadians. Yeah. Uh, he's going to take those chances. You got to, you know, you're going to have to live with it. Uh, but I mean, I think John, you know, him and John Merrill are a pretty solid combo. They complement each other pretty well. And like you said, I mean, Sherratt, let's get this guy out of the lineup. You know who should be playing beside Weber is, well, Gustafson, I think, could be a decent option. But Brett Kulak. He is, sure. I mean, he he should definitely be in the top six. I mean, he's he yeah he's he's never the sexiest option out there, but he's he's been he's he's one of the six best defensemen on the Canadians right now. That's for sure. Well, would you rather Kulak or Romanov in that spot? Well, I mean, Romanov, you can't really play him right now anyway, right? Oh, um, I, I mean, I like I guess so, but I mean, like ideally, if we're talking about playoff playoffs uh, arrive and it's because the thing is it's frustrating with with this team overall is we can talk about this all we want i feel like they, they have blinders on when it comes to this and all season they've been it's like they think if they could keep putting Schrott and weber out there together eventually they'll start playing like they were playing in the bubble and it's just not happening like we talked about it on the podcast about how like when, what we're going to do in Sherratt is back and I, and I laughed he's like i was i knew 100% he was going to be put back with weber as stupid as that pairing is, it's just I don't know if it's Luke Richardson, if it's Dusham, like what it is, but like they're obsessed with keeping those two together, and, and it makes no sense. Everyone can see it; they make no sense together together at all. No, yeah, everybody on Habs Twitter knew that that's what was going to happen when Shira came back. They were automatically going to be playing together again, and it was going to be a disaster again and aside from one good game uh against edmonton where they played you know both of them probably played their best game of the season yeah, in that game probably yeah. aside from that it's been uh, pretty much a disaster but uh you know what i mean if if you're gonna put romanov back in the lineup i think i'd i would put him back with kulak they had some decent uh or i'm sorry no uh wait i'm so confused right now Ro- no romanov and merrill i think merrill, would make yeah. sense and then you put Gustafson back on the uh, well. I I I I would give Gustafson and, and Weber a shot. See how that pair you know shapes out. That way you know Gustafson My, does his thing and Weber sort of has to stay back and he's not pinching, which you know seems. I mean he seems to for whatever reason think that he can still pinch like he uh, like he's in his early twenties or whatever. But uh, obviously it's not working out. See, my concern with that pairing though is that Weber hasn't been reliable, right? Like he's been doing turnover giving away like the puck just as much as Gustafson would you know like is he really the guy that's going to fix the mistakes of a guy that takes more chances like if he can adjust his play to do that like maybe that makes sense but no well, I, like I but think, I don't know yeah yeah well I, I think when he's playing with Sherratt they're both sort of defensive and they both I don't know they both sort of take their chances but I think 
hopefully you, I mean, you would hope that if he's playing with Gustafson, he realizes that Gustafson is going to be the, the offensive guy on that pairing. And then hopefully he's going to stay and play more of a defensive role. Um, I don't know. That would be my thinking. But do you honestly but, think there's any chance this team makes Ben Schrott a healthy scratch? No. <laughs> which is crazy. As much as he should. Which is crazy. Like, Shea Weber's one thing, you know? Like, pe- people online like to say that he should be a healthy scratch. Like, I, I wouldn't go that far necessarily. Like, I, at the very, like I, I know it's stupid to say he's earned it with his career, but, like, it, it, it would ruin the relationship with the Canadians and, 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 uh, and Shea Weber, I think, to, to make him a healthy scratch. But I do think he should be used very differently on a much lesser role and on some days be used almost as a third defense, as a third pairing defenseman. Like, not to say that he would become a third pairing defenseman, but just on that day, his pairing just plays less minutes to to give him some some, some kind of like time off. I mean, if you look at the, the stats, it's Jens Ferlin who often uh, loves asking us questions at the Habs Forum. Uh, always a great follow on Twitter. He posted after. 47 games of leaders for the Canadians. And number one for time on ice is Shea Weber at 22 minutes and 43 seconds over this season. And that to me is completely unacceptable. I mean, it's just, it's asking, it's a recipe for disaster. You're, you're asking for, 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 for failure out of Weber with that. And if you had a game here and there, even if you're leaving Sherratt and Weber together, just have a game here and there where they only play 17 minutes or, and then the other two pairings play more minutes just to kind of, manage a little bit the workload and all that like it doesn't have to be the number one play- pairing does this it's like they do that with the forwards too that's the crazy part the, the, the with the forwards on any given night a, a, a like a trio will, will have more ice time than another because they're playing better and it's based on merit like most of the time you'll see the same players getting the most ice time because they're powerful time and all, but still you'll have a game here and there where a guy like Suzuki will play less minutes than a guy like Kotkaniemi because Kotkaniemi is having a better game why can't that happen on defense too yeah, it's it, it's mind-boggling, really. I mean, you know, Jeff Petrie. Okay, he hasn't been playing his best hockey the last couple of games, last last week or so. But from what we've seen from him in the past, usually the more he plays, the better he plays. Why yeah. would? You, and he is obviously the best defenseman on the Canadians. For sure, not even close. He should definitely be playing top minutes. And I mean, Edmondson. Him and Edmondson. Yeah, yeah both both those. They've been the most consistent pairing on the team, no doubt about it. And now, especially with the addition of John Merrill on the third pairing, I mean, the way that he's playing, he can he can take a lot more minutes. You know, and I, he played I, I, a lot of minutes in Detroit, right? Merrill was, was was he was eating minutes in Detroit. He he can definitely take more than with the like fourteen fifteen minutes we've been giving him so far. Absolutely, I mean, it, he should be playing around twenty minutes a game. You know, that's that's going to reduce Weber's play, and I mean, you know, he can take a little little pressure off of Jeff Petrie too. I mean, we got nine games left before the playoffs start. Once the playoff starts, maybe you want to lean on Jeff Petrie a little bit more, but you know why not give him a bit of a breather? John Merrill, I'm I'm pretty sure can handle it. Like you said, he handled it in Detroit, and he, he's done a fantastic job so far in Montreal. But here's the thing: let let, let let's talk about the playoffs because we've been talking about the playoffs like they're a, a guarantee for uh, for for a while now. And uh, I mean that that the win. The fact that the Canadians won in regulation against Calgary yesterday and Vancouver lost in regulation against Ottawa. Huge day for the Canadians. I mean, th- those websites that do the, the kind of percentage chance of, of making the playoffs, the Canadians jumped from 69% to something along the lines of 89% or something like that. But uh, if you look at what needs to happen for the Canadians to make the playoffs, actually, if, if uh, a great follow on Twitter is uh, Guillaume Villemire, who G. Villemire13 uh, is, is uh, at... He made this graph, and it's very interesting because, like, like I said, there's no guarantee. If the Canadians play for 500, and by the way, they have not been playing for 500 lately. So so that's that would be playing above their head lately. And they don't have an easy schedule coming up either with Toronto uh, a bunch of times and, and Ottawa, who has not been an easy win for them. So it's Calgary— like Toronto four times before the end of—four times exactly. in, the, in the last eight games. Exactly. Now, if they play for 500, the Canadians, Calgary would have to go 7-0-1 to pass them. That's not happening. I'm not worried about Calgary. The Vancouver Canucks need to go 10-4, and four, which is not that crazy. But now here's the thing. That's if the Canadians play for 500. If the Canadians get, let's say, 8 out of a possible 18 points or even 6, which is much closer to what the Canadians have been doing recently, then the Canucks only have to go 9-4-1 or 8-5-1. Those are very possible results for the Canucks, right? I mean – 
it, it's not going to be easy for the Canucks to end in the year with everything they've gone through. Uh, but I mean, they won their first game back from from the pen uh, from, from being out because of COVID, and it, it's de- it's definitely possible. And I think as Habs fans, we kind of see the Canucks as being kind of a crap team because they played so poorly against us. But they match up much better against the rest of the division than they do against us. And it, it, it's not a foregone conclusion at all. If the Can- Canadians play only at 500 or less. It's definitely possible the Canucks are, are, are going to pass them. And you know what the worst part is? Is the Canucks are going to, I think, have four games on their schedule after the Canadians are done. So we're just going to be done and watching the Canucks passing us in the playoffs and in, in, in the standings, you know, which is just going to be the, the the one saving grace for that is that, like, uh, at the very least, it's like it's a nice story, you know, like let, let's say you're an impartial fan. You don't care about anyone in the Canadian division. I mean, I'd be rooting for the Canucks for sure with everything they went through. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I mean, definitely. But you know, I mean, the, at the end of the day, I mean, the the one you know, the the one positive thing away from it is the their the Canadians' destiny is in their own hands. Yeah. You know, they you know at, at the end of the day, I mean, that's that's what you got to hope for. You'd like to see a little bit more urgency out of the Canadians, because uh, I mean, they definitely haven't been playing like they're like you know the des their destinies in their hands. They sort of they seem to not really give a shit on most nights. Which is definitely not not what you want to see in Cal or not Calgary, but Vancouver. I mean, you know they they uh, I mean obviously they lost uh, they lost last night against Ottawa, but I mean for the most part, you know they're they've they've looked rejuvenated. You know I mean they they've they're sort of I guess playing with kind of a chip on their shoulder with yeah. with with what happened and you know us against the world kind of thing. And man, like you know if if they if they get hot, I mean ten and four isn't that you know, unrealistic, not at all. You know, I, I mean, obviously they're playing a lot, well, like every other team, but I mean, I'm sure their, their schedule is even more compacted than, than the rest of the team. So it is, it's going to be, you know, tough for them for sure. But I mean, another thing is, you know, when, when they do get to those last couple of games, I mean, basically like we already know who's making aside from the Canadians and really the Canucks at this point, everybody else knows whether they're making the playoffs or not. So they're going to rest players potentially, you know, especially if they're if they're playing Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Toronto, they're probably going to rest some players. Uh, you know, teams teams like uh, like Calgary and Ottawa, they don't necessarily have a whole lot to play for. So you know, they might not be getting playing the best teams or the best efforts out of the, out of the opposition near near that end of the season. You know, when they're basically playing by themselves. So it's uh, the Canadians, man. They 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 got to smarten up and you know realize that that it is possible that they could be caught and miss the playoffs. And man, heads heads are obviously going to roll if they do. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And 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 honestly, if they do miss the playoffs, part of me is going to like I think Bergman's kind of have to be to blame here because he's kind of tied Duchamp's hand like we talked about at the beginning of the podcast about how he can't ice the optimal lineup right now because of all these restrictions and all that. I mean, it's it's definitely hurting the Canadians' chances. But I mean, to, to go back to your point about that, towards the end, Vancouver are going to play, be playing teams that like their last three games are against Calgary, and assuming Calgary are out of the playoffs at that point, like you, ne- the thing is, you never know. Like maybe if they have young guys that are fighting for a spot on the roster next year. I mean, the Canadians, if you look at their schedule, and it's definitely the strongest strength of schedule against, playing against the Leafs and Winnipeg, but at the same time. Those teams are not fighting for their playoff lives, right? The, the the next four games against the Leafs, the Leafs are pretty much pretty much have a hold of first place. I mean, Edmonton could, I guess, pass them, but the Leafs are likely going to finish first in the division. So, if a team's going to be resting player, it, it might be Toronto. Like, there's no excuse for the Canadians. They, they got to win more than they lose against the, these teams, even if these teams are ahead of them in the standings, because they're fighting for their playoff lives and the other teams aren't. And it just Let's 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 see that out there. You know, it's just I, I really it's so fresh. It, it, like the, the good news coming out today was that uh, Gallagher was was practicing and he was like actually holding a stick and all that. If Gallagher was playing right now, I don't think we'd be having these same conversations. I, I honestly think it's crazy how much this like br- the Brendan Gallagher affects the, the Montreal Canadiens. They showed a graph. I don't remember the exact numbers yesterday, but during the game yesterday and the winning percentage for the team just falls so low when Gallagher is out. He's so essential to this team, but it's not like he's a crazy skilled player. I mean, Gallagher's biggest asset is his heart. So is it really that without Gallagher, this team has no heart? Like, where's the rest of the leadership on this team? That's a, you know, I've I've said that 
a couple of times before, like for a team that has apparently all these great veteran leadership guys, man, does this team ever not show up yeah. on a consistent basis? Like, you know, they, it seems like, man, they'll have one really good game and it's, and you know, it's, it's like, okay, they finally turned the corner. Yeah. This is the Canadians that we saw at the beginning of the year. And then they're going to have three stinkers in a row. Yeah. Like yeah, they so, can so put season. together a solid effort, like, you know, consistent effort. When have they, like, I can't remember a time when they played two good games in a row. Uh, I, I can't either. I, I really, I really genuinely can't uh, either. And, and the, these Calgary games, part of me thinks that maybe Deshaun's getting out coached too. Like he, he can't compensate for like the system. It's like the teams in the division seem to have figured out the Canadians and, and and I just I just I just don't know. Which I if they do make the playoffs, I'm really curious to see what, what what's how that's gonna go uh, at that point against the Leafs. Anything can happen in the playoffs, but it's just this team is just I don't it's, it's such a frustrating team. Like you said, they'll 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 give you hope and then just shit the bed for two games in a row, and then they'll give you hope again, shit the bed for three games in a row. It's just been so depressing to watch. You know, I mean, we've seen what they can do. I mean, they're they're on, on paper, they're such a talented team. Yeah. I mean, like like you know, it, at the end of the day, if they if they miss the playoffs, Bergevin, you gotta think his his head's probably gonna roll at this point. But honestly, if you take a look at the moves that he made, I I can't argue with those moves. Like at the end of the day, he he's gonna have to pay because at the end of the day, results well, are what matter. The, the, my thing with Bergevin, though, if they miss the playoffs, is I think he's the, how he handled this deadline will will have played a big part in them missing the playoffs because of what we talked about and how they can't ice their best team. That that's one reason why I'd be more if they miss the playoffs. Bergevin has to go because I mean the, the leash has to be pretty short and just to kind of dropping the ball there with not being able to ice the optimal team and not really managing the cap properly uh, for, for, for this year. I mean, there, 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 there's some moves that, sh- that I'm sure could have been there that, that could have made things easier. So for that, if they miss a pass for that reason, I think he, he kind of has to go. I mean, he might not, if he does though, I mean, it's something we haven't talked about yet. I, mean, I was joking in our chat about bringing in Patrick was GM. I just thought I like, I, I, when I joke about that, it's because the Canadian, we're watching a game and it's terrible it's and it's horrible, and my brain is just going to the fuck it, blow it all up. At least it'll be entertaining <laughs> if Patrick was here. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he'll do a good job. I just think at least it'll be funny to watch. It would but, definitely be very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but sure. but then after there was all that talk, it's like he was on Twitter and he thought he was funny, and he decided he'd go hire some agency, and they announced it on Twitter and everything. Oh man, like that that can't be a coincidence, right? It's like he's ready. <laughs> He's hoping they they lose every game till the end of the year, and he's he's gonna do everything he can to be the GM or coach of the Canadians. Well, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe it's not necessarily just the Canadians. I mean, maybe some team is is showing uh, some interest in him. I mean, the who knows? The timing, though, the timing. That's it's true. like everyone was talking about it on Twitter, and and, and like getting into fights about it, and yet like the people saying that we need the passion that he brings. And blah blah blah, and like whatever that means. Like, how passionate does your GM need to be? Uh, and well, uh, exactly. I don't want like he's such an emotional guy, Patrick. Exactly. Like, exactly. I, I wouldn't want like maybe as a coach, yeah, maybe I it, even then, he did I, have I wouldn't. The, his first year in Colorado was good, but apparently all went to his head. And I mean, you never know. The like, it'd be fun, like we said. Yeah, but it's but, it's often like that with with that kind of a coach, like an yeah. emotional coach like that. Like the same thing with John Tortorella. Every time he goes to a new team, it gets off to a great start, yeah. and then it just shit hits the fan, like we've yeah. seen this year with John Tortorella. I think I'd rather see uh, Joël Bouchard get a, get a shot at head coach if it, if it's not going to be Deshaun. Honestly, I think to me it's that those are the two names. I either want to stick with Deshaun, give him a full like season to to really get try to get things going. Or you give it to Bouchard because you're worried you're going to lose him, right? Yeah. Uh, as, far, as far as as the coaches go. Because aside from that, like I don't want any more of this nonsense bringing back a coach that's coached in the past. I don't want any of that. None of that. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, I don't know at this point. Well, Joao Bouchard, I mean, I am i don't know what – I don't know if he's going to be the head coach of the Rocket next year or the Canadians. You definitely got to keep him in the organization. If I'm Jeff Molson, I'm giving him a blank check and he can write whatever he wants on that check. 
Uh, as far as Duchamp goes, though, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I really haven't been too impressed with him. Yeah, yes, like you, you know, like we talked about. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been disappointing. You know, it seemed when he first got started, we were seeing some positive signs, but that I, I feel like you know he's he's sort of gone back to right away like pretty much as soon as the things started to go a little bit badly exactly you know back to uh you know what the team knew already i mean how much real leeway to do his own things did he have this season i mean that no idea you know, yeah I, who knows maybe we'll never know um but yeah I, i'm not i'm not super happy with what and with what we've seen honestly i think what's more important if the if this team does miss the playoffs What's more important to change more than I think the GM and the coach, because that's always who takes the fall. What's more important to change to me is is, is the captain, and I, I, it's, it's Shea Weber, because at that point, if this team misses the playoffs with this roster, and off Weber having his worst season of his career, I'm assuming. I mean, I didn't watch him that closely in Nashville. I can't imagine he ever had a season this bad. I th- that's the change I want to see. I I need to move on from, and I need someone else to be the the minutes guy, even if it means having a a, a season where it, it's it's led by the kids and there's even more ups and downs. But at least at least the kids are getting minutes. Yeah. Missing the playoffs while Shea Weber is le- leading your team in ice time is a complete waste of time. It's a complete yeah. waste of time. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm I'm very convinced that Shea Weber has maximum one season left with the Canadians. We've talked about this before because yeah. of his whole uh, his whole contract issue. Yeah. I think either he's going to retire, even and if he doesn't retire, his sort of contract would would be very attractive to you know those the teams that are basically trying to get to the cap floor. It's because he has a low salary, but his his cap is still pretty high. So he you know he could be very well, relatively attractive, I guess, to uh, to a team like like yeah. Arizona or something like that. Yeah, we've um, seen so, it time and time again, for sure. You know, I think he's got one year left with the Canadians. Um, you know, so whatever. Well, <laughs> hopefully he doesn't go uh, fall fall off the cliff any more than he already has. Ugh. But uh, but yeah, like you said, I mean, we got to start looking towards the future at this point. We've we already have the kids here. You know, with Suzuki, Kakinami, Caulfield now, Romanov, even Caden Primo. You know, in the in the game that he played, he looked pretty good. He's He's been fantastic in the AHL. He's he's going to be ready to take a step soon. And then we can finally see the true current captain of the Montreal Canadiens, Brendan Gallagher, wear the C that he deserves. I mean, we were talking, That's... we were already doing the podcast when 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 that decision was made, and we were already like I, I remember talking about how I was Team Gallagher. We assumed whoever was going to get it, but I've always wanted Gallagher to get that C. I mean, just the way he plays on the ice. I don't. I don't. Th- I don't know what else you'd want out of your captain, honestly. I, I really don't know. And here's the thing, too. He was skating today. He was holding onto the stick. 100% Brendan Gallagher would be playing right now for in the playoffs. And I think if we get actually, we, he can't be activated before before the end of the year because of LTIR. Because uh, I was gonna say if if it's getting close to missing the playoffs, he'll 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 play. But I don't think we can play him because of uh, we we use his 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 cap. Uh, relief and everything but the canadians make the playoffs he's not missing a game there's i there's no doubt in my mind no definitely he he's going to be ready to go and and yeah i mean he obviously i mean we've seen how much he means to the canadians not just on the ice but apparently off the ice too regardless of how many leaders we supposedly have he is he and he's obviously 100 110 percent going to be the next captain of the canadians but um yeah i mean it's, it's gonna it's gonna be great to see him back in the ice can't wait yeah, can't wait. Anyways, uh, I mean, b- before we move to the to the interview, uh, quickly here, let's uh, let's give give some uh, some predictions for the for the c- coming games on uh, on the schedule. So the Canadians playing Toronto tomorrow. I mean, I'm excited to see how that's gonna look. Just playing a different team than uh, than Calgary. I mean, Calgary five to, five of the last uh, what is it uh, eight games have been against Calgary. I'm just. I was pretty pro Canadian division at the beginning of the year. I'm I'm, to- I'm completely over it now. I I missed I missed the Boston Bruins so much. You have no idea. I, like true. I I just want to see Brad Marchand's ugly face and and, <laughs> and, and like and I want to see Romanov knock him on his ass. You know what I mean? Like I I just I I'm over the Canadian. I'm just overplaying against the same team so much. I really hope we can move past this uh uh next uh next season. So we anyways got Toronto tomorrow at home and then Winnipeg. Uh, once again, 
uh, at home on uh, on Friday and then back-to-back on Saturday against Ottawa and then Toronto again on Monday. So a lot of games coming up. Not some easy games, especially when you consider how the Canadians have played against Ottawa. But it's do or die here. Like, next four games, do the Canadians at least get two wins, do you think? Uh, that's, I mean, I think that's that's what you got to hope for. Um, yeah, I'm going I'm to say two wins. I don't think they're going to get more than that. And I pray that they're not going to get less than that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, hopefully they can get one of the wins in Toronto. And, you know, I think I think they'll end up losing to Winnipeg, unfortunately. And hopefully they can figure it out here against Ottawa. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think they're going to get four points. Hopefully they get four points. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, if not, like we talked about, I mean, Vancouver is hot in their heels. I think Toronto, they beat, they beat them tomorrow. Uh, hopefully Caulfield's playing again. And I think he gets his first career goal. I think it's fitting for uh, Toronto to be the team he gets his first career goal against. Uh, you know, we saw it with Paling, but I think the, the the long-term result will be vastly different. And like you, I think I, they have to win against Ottawa. I mean, we've I feel like we say it every podcast that is before a game against Ottawa, and then oftentimes it doesn't happen. Uh, but they they have they absolutely after that last performance four nothing loss against Ottawa a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's unacceptable. They have to win against Ottawa. So I, I think they kind of they win one, they lose one, they win one, they lose one, uh, and then we're just playing 500, and we're having pretty much the same conversation next week about their chances in the playoffs, and it's just gonna it's just gonna suck until the end of the year. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, yeah, if they can play for 500, you know, hopefully, I mean, just you know, hopefully, Van, hopefully Vancouver doesn't win too many games, and uh, and yeah, hopefully we're in the same spot next uh, next week when we do this. All right, so uh, that's enough of the negatives. Now uh, on to the, the the positives, and the positives is Cole Caulfield. Uh, and uh, we got we got a first interview in a while because we were so excited about Cole Caulfield. So Sam uh, Harrington uh, Harrigan, sorry, like I said before, of the Badger Herald. So I uh, want to talk to us a little bit about what the talk's going to be before we uh, we throw that out interview, Dustin. Yeah, it's definitely a great interview. I mean, uh, obviously he's very very familiar with Cole Caulfield uh, being uh, you know working with the uh, the being a journalist for the Badger Herald, uh, so the University of Wisconsin. He's seen him play the last two seasons, so we talked about you know what he meant to the uh, to the University of Wisconsin program. Talked about a couple of their alums and uh, and maybe a player that he's sort of maybe modeling his game after a little bit. Uh, so a former, former uh, Joe Pavelski, uh, we talked about, you know, what he's improved with Tony Granato, the head coach at Wisconsin. Uh, we talked about, you know, his defensive play as well. That's taken a leaps and bounds since, uh, since his freshman year at Wisconsin. And uh, you know, what, what Sam thought the, uh, the short-term future would be for Sam, uh, for Cole Caulfield. So what, uh, what we could maybe, uh, expect from him this season and what he thinks uh, maybe we could see from him in the future long term. So definitely a, a, a lot of great insight into Cole Caulfield and uh, definitely give it a listen, guys. And give definitely give Sam a uh, follow on Twitter. All right. Great stuff. Of course, give him a follow on Twitter. So enjoy that interview. And uh, as always, we'll talk to you again next week. I'm joined here by Sam Harrigan from the Badger Herald. Sam, thank you very much for joining us today. Of course, Dustin. Thanks for having me. So, Sam, you, of course, broke the news yesterday, the news that all Habs fans were eager to hear, that Cole Caulfield was finally going to make his debut. So, obviously, how how was your first taste of Habs Twitter? How, how did you like it? You know, to be honest with you, um, kind of the second I posted my tweet, it started to get a little traction and it was, um, rightfully so everybody seemed kind of hesitant to believe me, you know, I just kind of this unknown journalist from Wisconsin with 200 followers, you know, I, I wouldn't have believed it either. Um, and I was getting a little bit of, I wouldn't say hate, but clear skepticism, which is fair. Um, and that quickly turned to praise and love. And it was so wild to me. Um, to, you know, I mentioned this to Dustin, but I'm a huge Ranger fan. So I've kind of always gone my whole life, you know, disliking the Habs and Habs fans as a whole. I mean that with all due respect, but um, it was definitely weird to see kind of a, a quick turn. And, you know, I've been getting so many DMs and, and nice messages from beat writers and fans and pretty much just everybody just about how, uh, how glad they are that I broke the news and it wasn't 
wasn't this big beat writer and um you know i was i was thrilled to have all the uh the positive comments and and the love and you know i i don't know that i really deserved it but i i'm certainly grateful for it it made my day that's for sure so i guess pretty safe to say that it was a bit of a whirlwind over the last 24 hours for you yeah yeah that is uh very safe to say my phone has not stopped lighting up um you know i i had about 200 followers yesterday now i'm nearing 900 and you know it's constant like retweet comment all that and uh it's been busy it's been a lot of fun it's been uh kind of the the weirdest craziest 24 hours that i've had in recent memory so um you know it's been a lot of fun and certainly a whirlwind though well, now that uh, the Habs fans probably make up about 30, three quarters of your following on Twitter, do you think maybe we can convert you? Or I wouldn't say a full conversion, but uh, you know, as a Ranger fan, I I have a little bit of room in my heart to love Habs fans. Not maybe not the team, but you know, I'll always be rooting for Cole. And um, you know, Habs fans were really good to me yesterday, and that's something I won't forget. And I'll continue to interact with Habs Twitter as a whole. And um, as long as as long as they're not playing the Rangers, I'll be uh, I'll be rooting for the Habs here a little bit, especially uh, next year when kind of the divisions realign. I'll I'll have a little bit more love in my heart for Habs fans, hoping they can knock off, you know, mainly the Bruins. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that for sure. Playing the Rangers again, especially with some of the kids that they got now, they got a pretty exciting team. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. But uh, so to, to get to Cole Caulfield's time at Wisconsin, obviously you've had a lot of time to, uh, you know, you've seen seen him grow up over the last two seasons. What kind of uh, what kind of an Im- impact has he really made on on the Wisconsin team that obviously had it has, a, you know, a, a very historic um, history? Yeah, kind of, as you mentioned, it, it's a historic program, but it's kind of been in a uh, in a slow downfall for the last decade or so. Um, and really until this year, you know, even in Caulfield's freshman year last season, they weren't very good. They were bottom of the Big Ten um, and just kind of struggled throughout. But um, this year, led by Cole Caulfield and, and Dylan Holloway as well, um, they, they they made the resurgence and won the Big Ten the regular season. I should say they didn't win the tournament, but, um, you know, it was it's really all because of Cole Caulfield. He was the best player in college hockey. Um, by a wide, wide margin. Um, he won the Hobie Baker Award and he kind of restored, I guess, order to Wisconsin hockey. And that's something that myself and all other Wisconsin hockey fans and everybody in this entire state that loves hockey and loves the Badgers is really grateful for because he really uh, flipped the program back to where it needed to be. Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, they, they've maybe not necessarily as recent years, but, you know, in the past, they've, they've certainly had a lot of superstars. You know, you just got to think of Joe Pavelski, Curtis Joseph and Nets, uh, Chris Chelios, even uh, another ex-Canadian. Yeah. What um, does he compare maybe play wise to to any of those greats at Wisconsin? Well, I wouldn't say play wise maybe not so much to any of those guys. One thing that is of note is that him and Joe Pavelski went to the same high school um, in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which is um, a small town about an hour north of here in Madison. Um, But they've pumped out a lot of great athletes. And, you know, I I can't say for certain, but you got to assume that Joe Pavelski has been somewhat of a role model and a mentor for Cole, um, seeing as though, as I mentioned, they went to the same high school, then they both came to Wisconsin and dominated and Everybody knows what Joe Pavelski is doing in the NHL on a year-to-year basis. So, um, well, I'm not sure that they're super similar in play style. Yeah, they do have uh, both some strong offense to them, um, obviously. But um, I, you got to think that Cole is really looking at Joe Pavelski and kind of trying to follow a similar path um, as as Pavelski, the Badger great, and now the NHL uh, borderline superstar is. So. Um, again, play style, maybe not so similar, but, uh, story and path is definitely right there. And you gotta, you gotta think Pavelski's a guy that Cole really looks up to. I mean, certainly if, if Caulfield can have the sort of career that Pavelski has or is having really, obviously he's sort of on the getting towards the tail end of his career. But, uh, I mean, I think definitely Habs fans will be thrilled with that. Uh, and one other, of course, huge alum for Wisconsin was Tony Granato. And he, of course, is the coach, the head coach of Wisconsin, now a renowned coach. He's he's done a great job with the program. What sort of improvements have you seen in Cole Caulfield's game that, that Granato w- had played, you know, a big hand in? 
I would say kind of the biggest uh, coaching change that you can see from Granado happened um, from kind of the first half of this past season to the second half. Um, and that was kind of where Caulfield was positioned on the power play. Um, you know, Cole was great at five on five and great, uh, even shorthanded as well. He played a lot of shorthanded minutes, but where his real talent sticks out is on the power play. He led the nation in power play goals by it wasn't even close. I don't know the exact number, but he led it by a wide margin. Um, and that was pretty much all in the second half of the season. Um, in the first half, they kind of positioned him at, at the blue line and kind of let him lead the power play, but not so much shoot. Um, he was more of a facilitator there. And then um, towards the second half of the season, Granado kind of let him be a little bit more mobile and uh, look to score a little bit more. Um, and they kind of reshaped that whole power play. Um, and it was huge for Cole and the Badgers as a whole. Um, I think they converted at about 33% on the power play, which again led the nation by a wide margin. Um, he was playing alongside Dylan Holloway and Linus Weisbach and um, some of the other big name forwards for Wisconsin that uh, had the best offense in the country this year. And, you know, really that was a big change for Granado and for Cole as well. And it clearly paid off. And uh, honestly, for about six weeks and, Cole literally just would not stop scoring. Um, and that I would say is almost entirely related to Granado moving him around on the power play and giving him a little bit more freedom uh, to shoot the puck. And not that he was ever scared to shoot, but putting him in better angles to shoot, letting him spot up from the circles instead of the blue line. Absolutely. I mean, and obviously it paid off. I mean, winning the Hobie Baker this year, putting up, uh, I think it was over 50 points this season. But uh, another big improvement that a lot of people have pointed to over the last season since since his freshman season was his defensive play. Um, did you see a big improvement in his defense in, in his own zone as well? Big time. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I as I kind of briefly hinted at, uh, he started to play a lot of shorthanded minutes and he was. Uh, even in there for big defensive zone faceoffs, you know, he became trusted defensively and obviously Cole's not a very big guy, five, eight or whatever he is to the exact inch um, somewhere along there. So um, he gained significant trust defensively as he should have, um, you know, he's not obviously in the NHL because of his defense. Um, he's in the NHL because of his shot and his offensive prowess, but, his defense took a huge step up from year one at Wisconsin to year two at Wisconsin. And, you know, I'm not sure that there's any specific thing you can point to, but he was just kind of consistently in the right spots. Um, and I think that just is a testament to his hockey IQ, a testament to his coachability and a testament to his um, kind of will to get better, which, um, I mean, it's been pretty clear his development from his days at Stevens Point High School to now his days with the Montreal Canadiens. Um, so de definitely defensively, he's taken a huge step between year one and year two. And that's something that uh, will obviously continue to grow as he uh, starts his NHL career. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely showed. It definitely showed this season, uh, you know, the work that he's been doing to work on that defensive game. Now, one thing that, uh, I mean, we've seen a lot of on, you know, the, the Habs Twitter and, you know, fans have, have loved to see it. He's always, the kid's always smiling. You know, he seems to be cool as a cucumber all the time. Even Tyler Toffoli, one of his teammates with the Canadians, says that, you know, he's always smiling. He's almost too nice of a kid. Is that something that you saw back in his Wisconsin days as well? Of course. I mean, you can you can look at one thing to prove that, which was his rookie lap yesterday. And, you know, I've mentioned I'm a Ranger fan. I've seen a lot of rookie debuts and a lot of rookie laps in the last couple of years. And almost every single kid looks terrified and, and uh, game face on and just really nervous. Cole gets out there, bucket off, hair flow and biggest smile on his face. And and that's something that was always evident. Um, you know, he. Obviously, he scores a ton of goals, but he always celebrates. He's always smiling. And, um, you know, it's clear he has a very infectious personality. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's going to be the captain of the Canadiens one day. But um, he certainly has that makeup of someone that clearly everyone here at Wisconsin kind of looked up to him for leadership, even though he was only a sophomore, even though he was only uh, 19, 20 years old. Um, he was kind of the the leader, especially for the offense, even though he didn't wear a letter this year. Um, his personality and his smile and his just kind of general happiness to be playing hockey is something that's very 
evident and clear and something that is probably the biggest reason for his success because there is clearly a genuine love for the game of hockey and a genuine love of scoring goals and celebrating and being around his teammates. And that's something that will uh, pave a long NHL career for him if he loves the game, which it seems like he really, really does. Absolutely. He, he definitely seems to love the game. And like you said, I mean, he always seems to have a huge smile on his face. Uh, I mean, you've seen it firsthand yourself over the last 24 hours, The how crazy Habs Twitter can be, how crazy the Hab media can be. Do you think Cole Caulfield, obviously he has an amazing amount of pressure on him, amazing amount of expectations coming in, even just coming into his first game yesterday. Do you think he has what it takes from what you saw dealing with him, you know, as, as a member of the press in Wisconsin, do you, what you've seen from him dealing with the press in Wisconsin, do you think uh, he'll be able to deal with the pressure that he's going to be facing with the Canadians? I do. Um, you know, obviously it, it can't be easy for the kid being the number one prospect, dropping him into uh, arguably the biggest hockey market in the world as the the savior of the franchise. But um, obviously on a smaller scale, it's kind of just what he's always done. Um, you know, going when you're such a highly touted prospect from the state of Wisconsin coming to play hockey at Wisconsin, that's not a small deal. Uh, Wisconsin's a hockey crazed state without an NHL team. So it all falls on the Badgers and, and they're our, our NHL team, right? They have the same love and admiration and passion that a lot of NHL teams do. So Caulfield was kind of thrust into that NHL environment from the time he committed, I want to say his sophomore or junior year of high school. Um, and then he went to the national development, national development team program um, and dominated and he was the best player in the history of that program, set every scoring record, and it wasn't even close. Um, he's always kind of had to deal with that pressure. Um, and again, it's nowhere near the scale of the pressure that he has on him in Montreal to succeed at the NHL level. But if he's put in a position to succeed, like he was last night, put on the first line, there is not a doubt in my mind that he has everything it takes to succeed, with even with that pressure on him. And he's he just keeps doing it he's done it at every level there's no reason to think he'll stop now no, absolutely i mean so far obviously a very small sample size two games in the ahl with the laval rocket and one game with the canadians last night uh, but he he definitely looks the part so far so you've you've touched on how much he means or how much he meant to the badgers were the badgers expecting to lose him after this season yeah, I, I think I think that's fair to say. And there was some talk of him leaving after last season, but um, it did seem like after last year, he did need a little bit more development. He wasn't quite there. Um, and it was pretty, pretty clear even preseason that he was going to leave. Um, but I mean, with how well he played, winning the Hobie Baker, pretty much being unstoppable for the last six weeks or so of the season, there was really never a doubt that he was that he was leaving. I don't it, it honestly um, don't I don't think it really crossed any Wisconsin fans minds that there was even a chance he would be back next year. Um, but, you know, it's hard to hard to uh, be mad at the kid for that. He set every scoring record in, in the NCAA this year. He was the best player by far, obviously winning the Hobie Baker. But I mean, it wasn't even close um, to anybody else in terms of scoring and how well he played this year. So, yeah, I mean, there wasn't much of a doubt that that he was headed to the to the NHL the second the Wisconsin season ended. And he was pretty straightforward about saying he needed some time to think about it. And, you know, I don't know that he really did. I think it was a pretty easy decision for him. But, um, yeah, it was pretty obvious that he was going right to the show. The second Wisconsin got eliminated there from the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think it would. It's pretty fair to say that after winning the Hobie Baker Award and and I mean, you know, essentially carrying the Wisconsin team, he probably didn't have much left to prove at the NCAA level, and and it was probably time to make the jump, right? Right. I mean, he dominated. There was, he, regardless of the game, regardless of who they were playing against, he was the best player on the ice by far. You know, even playing Michigan, which has like three of the top five projected NHL draft picks this upcoming year playing against Minnesota, which has kind of a similar talent level. He was by far the best player um, sharing a power play with Dylan Holloway, the Oilers stud draft pick. He was, it didn't matter who was on the ice with him. It didn't matter who he was facing. 
he was by far the best player on the ice at all times. Um, and that, uh, which kind of makes his decision to go to the NHL a little easier because he, there was really no competition for him. He was ready to make that next step to say the least. And then when he did make the step, he, uh, he obviously joined the Laval rocket. Uh, he only got into two games there. Obviously got off to a great start, three goals and one assist, game winners in both those games. Were you a little surprised at the hot start that he that he came off of or that he got coming off of a, 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 you know, a Hobie Baker winning season? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, no. Um, all I've seen him do is score goals. So to see him score more goals wasn't really that big of a surprise. But um, I guess when you think about it, the jump from college to professional hockey is a big deal. Um, especially, I mean, he didn't have a ton of time off, but he had, I want to say 10 days, two weeks, if not a little bit more, uh, between games. So, you know, it, it was a little bit surprising, I guess, um, in that sense that he was able to kind of seamlessly, um, jump right back into game action and continue to, to dominate and continue to show why he is the best scoring prospect, um, maybe in the entire NHL right now. Um, so no, I wasn't surprised to see him score, but maybe I should have been. Um, but regardless, I, I, I'm expecting more of the same here as, as he plays a couple more NHL games. I'm just expecting more goals because that's all I know of Cole Caulfield. And that's that's all that he's been able to prove is that he just scores at every level and he scores at will at every level. So um, expecting more of that. Yeah, you've definitely seen him do enough of it over the last over the last two years, yeah. and I'm sure you followed him in high school too. I'm sure he put up a lot there. Yeah. Uh, so we saw him in his first NHL game last night. What did you think of his uh, of his first game? I thought he played really well. I mean, obviously he didn't score, but there wasn't much scoring to be done by either side. I'll be honest, that was a very very boring hockey game. I think anybody who watched it will probably agree with that. Um, but I thought Cole played well. Uh, you know, putting him on the first line was was in my opinion a good idea by Ducharme and I think it paid off I think he had four or five shots um, and he came out as the second highest graded forward behind Tyler Toffoli so um, it's hard to argue with those numbers and even though he didn't get on the score sheet I thought he I thought he looked comfortable and I love seeing within 30 seconds on his first shift in the NHL he got a shot from the circle and he missed it by that much just barely missed the crossbar and um I, I was really impressed by him to kind of be able to seamlessly jump in and continue to shoot the puck. That's something he's never been scared of. You know, uh, I'll look at back at Alexi Lafreniere, number one overall pick, kind of consensus number one overall pick. Comes to the Rangers, comes to the NHL, he's kind of hesitant to shoot the puck. And um, to see that there was no hesitation from Cole to shoot the puck, even on his first shift, is is pretty impressive. And that kind of just shows you uh, the mindset that he has where he's always looking to score and he's not scared of the moment at all. No, couldn't agree more. I mean, he looks, he, he just fits the part already and, you know, always smiling, cool as a cucumber, the kid. So I mean, de- definitely looks like, you know, he, he's, he's set up for success for sure. And obviously Duchamp has a lot of confidence in him putting him on that first line with Dano and Tatar. So very exciting stuff. I mean, obviously the expectations have been set super high. It, I mean, I can't remember the last time the Canadians had a prospect that had this much excitement coming, you know, making his debut. Obviously, you know, the Canadians are in the last sort of stretch here. I think they have nine games left. And then unless they completely fall apart, they're going to be making the playoffs here. What sort of impact do you think realistically as a 20 year old making his NHL debut? What, what kind of impact do you think he'll make for the rest of this season with the Habs? I think it's hard to say. Um, and it all kind of falls on what Ducharme decides to do with him. Um, if he continues to give him first line minutes and if he continues to put him on the power play, it's not too far fetched to think that Cole can be nearly a point per game player down the stretch, if not more. Um, but you know, it's a little bit unfair to the kid to say, Hey, you just got here from college hockey in the AHL, go play first line in the playoffs against the Leafs. It's, it's a little bit unfair to the kid, but again, he's always had the pressure and he's always delivered. So um, I, I, I don't know that there's kind of a set expectation for him because I'm not sure that there really can be um, maybe three or four games from now, if he's kind of developed a consistent role and continues to play like he did last night, that'll be a little bit of an easier assessment to have. Um, but going into the playoffs, 
it's hard to say, um, but I think he can be, you know, the Habs top scorer. To be completely honest with you, I've seen enough of the guy for the last couple of years to to know what he can do. He has a an absolute cannon of a shot, um, which I'm sure you and many Habs fans have become familiar with. But um, you know, it's it's unfair to say, as I mentioned, put him on the top line in a series against the Leafs, but. If that's what they decide to do for him, I'm expecting nothing less than a point per game. No, I mean, it's, so far he's looking the part, and certainly, I mean, if he can, you know, if he, it's like, like you said, he's done it so much in the past. I mean, he's done it at Wisconsin. He did it when he was with the U.S. national development team. He's he's done it at every single level, even in the AHL in his small sample size. So why why wouldn't he be able to do it at the NHL? And uh, so, I mean, that's for this season. But moving forward, what? I mean, is he? Do you see him being a forty goal scorer, a fifty goal scorer, and potentially a a Rocket Richard Trophy winner down the uh, down the road? What, what do you think is his ceiling? You know, I I don't I don't know that there's a, a set ceiling on him. All I know is that he's going to score goals and he's going to continue to score goals. I think he probably will be a Rocket Richard winner at least once in his career. Um, you know, he led the NCAA by eight or nine goals. He scored 30 in 31 games. He and most of them came in a 15 to 20 goal period. I'm sorry, 15 to 20 game period. So um, scoring, a, he was scoring a goal per game at that pace, pretty much. Um, so yeah, I think he can definitely be a Rocket Richard type guy. I think he'll be a pretty consistent, maybe not consistent, but a multiple time 40 goal scorer. He's he's a special kid with a special shot. I mean, his shot right now you can argue is a top 10 shot in the NHL, if not better than that. It, it is that good. It is that accurate. It is that hard. And it is that deceptive where he can score on anybody if he's put in a good spot. Um, I think as he continues to grow and develop, you'll see that. I'm not sure if this growth and development and these 40 goal seasons and these rocket Richards that I think will happen. And I think a lot of Habs fans think will hopefully happen um, will come in the next couple of years. But as he continues to develop, the promise is there, the uh, attributes are there, and the, the will and want to get better is there. Um, I see no reason to put a ceiling on the kid. I, th- I think he can go as far as he wants to go, and I think he can be the next great goal scorer in the NHL. I mean, yeah, hard to argue with that from what we've seen so far. And, I mean, Habs fans would be ecstatic if he were to be the first Hab that's uh, the, a Rocket Richard, tro- Rocket Richard Trophy winner. That would be fantastic. So, well, thanks a lot for doing this, Sam. Where can uh, where can we catch you? Yeah, um, I will be all over Twitter. Uh, I guess I, I have to start interacting with Habs Twitter a little bit more, considering all the love they've shown me in the last last day or so. So you can find me on Twitter at Sam Harrigan 84 That's my last name, H-A-R-R-I-G-A-N, number 84. Um, and I will continue to be writing for the Badger Herald, which is kind of our uh, University of Wisconsin student newspaper. Last year, I was on the women's hockey beat, national champions. I'll just give them a quick shout out here. Um, and then, uh, I do some men's hockey stuff there as well and football, basketball, but, um, I'm, I'm always on Cole Caulfield's side as, as everyone here at Wisconsin is, and, um, gonna, gonna love following his career, even though it's on the Habs and not sure how that fits in with me being a Ranger fan, but I will, uh, certainly continue to, to show him love whenever I can. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for doing this, Sam. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.